Okay, let's go. Hello, welcome to Frivolous Gravitas. Today, uh, we've got a bit of an ad hoc uh, episode for you, but that's okay because we know what we're doing. Uh, we're professionals. <laughs> we're professionals. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Frivolous Gravitas uh, with me, Jordan, I guess, and our... Um, I guess I'm Pinky and we have the brain over here, which in the form of Chris. So, uh, I'm not sure if that's endearing or not. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. But uh, today we're going to be putting our brains together and talking about video games. Um, why we play them? Are they a waste of time? Do they cause violence? Yes. No. <laughs> but a bit on the side, we'll be putting our pinkies together too. Yeah. Promise that would tell you the truth or something. So, oh man, I'm just full of bad jokes. <laughs> so, I don't know, where do you want to start, Chris? Uh, I was thinking about like starting at the easy parts, the good parts, the reason why people start playing games and why they're so popular and how they got so popular. Um, I don't know if we'd necessarily want to get into like Atari and all that, but we're both kids of the 80s, so we grew up with, with games in some form or another, but primarily on 8-bit and moving upwards from there. So Yeah, I remember those days, and I was really, really bad at video games back then. Like, I oh, could I never get am. into them. Like, the side-scrollers, you know, the Mario jumps, and then I just was always so bad at them, and I always found that oh, they were made for some people with a... With capabilities that i didn't have so people that could uh, uh mental perspective that i just couldn't get a hold of and i was terrible but it really kicked off for me when in 3d video games started because that i inherently understood i could understand a three-dimensional environment there was uh, it just clicked with me and that's kind of when it started for me i wasn't into video games at all before that really it was kind of a neat thing that you could do and for but. me, it was all the moving parts. Like, I loved how even with um, uh, pixels, uh, not pixel, what do they call it? Sprites. Even when they had sprites moving around, they would use like six or seven different sprites to show the character turning. So it wasn't like a full 3D uh, animation per oh, se. Yeah. Just swapping pictures in to make the, the, the character look like they were moving on a plane. To me, that was just fascinating. Like, especially yeah. on Game Boy, something so small and portable that just ran on batteries. You could you could do three-dimensional um, illusions, basically. Well, or like anything in the build engine, like, you know, you have Doom or Duke Nukem or something like that, where it's not actually 3D. It's actually a 2D textures put together in a way to give the illusion of 3D and height and depth, and they have weird teleporting mechanics in the code. <laughs> that make it all seem like you're in 3D. And they did some interesting stuff, you know, non-Euclidean geometry. You're walking around in a in a circle of, you know, 700 degrees in a 3D environment and it doesn't make any sense. But because it doesn't obey the laws of physics, they can jank out some weird uh, physics. And that was really interesting. But I was still really bad at those. <laughs> I think for me, the biggest impact, it was like, um, it opened my mind up so much to see these types of different worlds and like be able to move through them, even if it looked really crummy. It's mm -hmm. so much different experience than reading a book or being, um, being lectured to. Do you know what I mean? The yeah. instant feedback and response you get from games is almost like a, a stimulation that you'd get from uh, like an active engagement in work or something. 
you know it's different from a passive like receiving information from tv where like a show or a movie is just telling you what's going on and what's happening next that instant feedback to me was just like revolutionary yeah and unfortunately the first couple games weren't exactly like duke nukem didn't really have much of a message um here to kick ass and chew bubble gum it's like okay <laughs> they've got that from a movie but <laughs> but the fact that you could move through a different map or a world like before that all you could do is watch a cartoon of somebody else doing it you know yeah, or, and you couldn't actually engage in your media or like hallucinate but that was more like a dream than a than a reality you weren't there you weren't oh well the other thing that's happening there is the, the key point is agency in a in a hallucination you are you have too much agency the world is completely flowing with what you're like there's no inputs that aren't you and so it's it's only kind of neat as a movie or if you're reading a book you're hallucinating um i don't know prove me wrong <laughs> and uh the hallucination that you're getting from the book is completely controlled by the author and you're not you're kind of there as you know an observer um some books have tried to do this with second uh second person narratives but they don't really work um the guy who wrote uh holden caulfield book jesus can't remember the name right now um guy the kid who talks about phones yeah no jd yes salinger you're right sorry i had to go check my this is why i have these here not just to be like oh jordan reads so many books because i forget the authors <laughs> reference wall <laughs> so and he tried to write a a second person book and it, it was okay but it's with a video game it really does something different it allows you to create not only create a narrative but engage in a narrative as if you're the one engaging with it and that's like, I know it sounds small. It's like, oh, but you're still, you know, this or that. But it is revolutionary. Like, you get a different medium. And because you have a different medium, you have a new message. And the message is much more nuanced if you can do it. But the problem is, is that it takes a lot more expertise to make it. And I think it those types of games, like, inspired creativity, though, in that uh, agency, as you put it. I like the way you put that because you're basically putting yourself into that 8-bit world or the 16-bit world but what i think is really important though is the difference in in your brain function when you're doing it so i think as kids growing up with video games their their neural pathways are like you know as you grow your neural pathways sort of connect to your experiences and that's how mm -hmm. you gain wisdom and knowledge and whatever yeah. But I think through games and doing that for kids, like spatial awareness is different because they realize from a young age that it can be artificially distorted. Like concepts like that, you don't even fathom until you're an adult and you start abstracting away life and the meaning of, you know, purpose and virtue yeah. and honor and all this type of thing. But like the kids learning through a video game are actively engaged in it rather than being preached to. So it's almost like they can... Um, it's like when you're teaching, you want to engage your classroom because then they'll retain and learn, get a deeper understanding of the material you're teaching. I think games do that in a passive way, which is really unique because you can stimulate your brain without exhausting yourself. And I think that's crucial to video games as opposed to other media. Right. Reading exhausts me, like just well, no, the focus and effort. 
Because if you want to actually like dive into something, you have to put effort into paying. You have to like pay attention to it. So like anyone re watching this and actually like paying attention and not passively listening, um, like, you know, it's not bad if you're passively listening to us guys. Uh, but if you are trying to form a criticism of one of our episodes, you have to actually sit down and listen to us. Um, take notes and that's going to lead, that's going to take extra energy. And it's the same with a movie. You have to sit there and pay attention. You know, you have to like, you can't just let the movie happen to you, which is more what most movies are uh, made for. Um, Except the um, great ones, the great ones really pull your heartstrings or whatever and get you involved. Well, the great ones, and I brought up Barry Lyndon to you off screen uh, thing, but that one pulls you in without letting you know that it's pulling you in. You're just, you get invested as a matter of course and you end up at the end you just kind of like you were immersed in it and that's it i think one thing that allows games to do that is that because you're exerting your agency on the game you are able to immerse yourself in it to some extent and i think that allows the content of the content um so the content of the game to you know, get into your brain a little more. It hooks you in in a different way. Where a movie, it can hook you in, but you there's still that separation between reality and the movie um, for the most part. Um, and once the movie ends, you have this encapsulated thing, or maybe it's like it gets you craving a sequel like a junkie, um, but you you don't you have that separation. With something like a video game, you get, and I don't really... The, 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 the ages of video games don't really, they're all trying to do the same thing. Every generation, they just, some generations do it better. Um, and there's different types of games too that do this. So like a puzzle solving game is going to be different than a, a game with a big narrative or an adventure game or a fighting game or uh, a um, strategic resource management game or something like that. But they all kind of want to draw you in so that you get immersed in the action of what you're doing. Now, disclaimer, I guess this only goes for good games. A bad game won't be able to do this. And so probably when we say video games, we're probably going to be talking about good games mostly because bad games are what we would call a waste of time. But think about it this way though, with the bad games, those are the ones that help you pinpoint what's good in the other games. Oh, yeah. It's really hard to say what's so fun about Spider-Man swinging around or um, <clears throat> Horizon Zero Dawn climbing giant mechanized dinosaurs, like oh, robot yeah. dinosaurs or something <laughs> like that. But there is some kind of like catharsis or satisfaction you get from like climbing a huge mountain in a game that looks like a huge mountain. Or when you're trolling around the screens in Zelda 1 with like the top down view and you're you're exploring new areas you get yeah. the same types of feelings even though the graphics or the game might be buggy or weird or janky or you know mm -hmm. video quality or whatever um usually as long as the like the motif is consistent we seem to have no problem becoming immersed in anything no matter how ugly or rancid it is as long yeah. as there's like some kind of compelling drive to move forward so as long as there's a clear and precise goal and the controls are known, easy to learn, but hard to master, those types of things, right? But mm -hmm. I think it's the bad games that show us how those types of things are important. Because in a bad game, 
when it's too difficult and people just give up and throw it away or they get so angry it's like this isn't fun i'm angry yeah <laughs> that type of realization sort of helps us guide our other leisure product projects you know what i mean yeah and i think well for something to be bad i always thought it would have to be um i do want to pick up the thread that you just put down there but for something to be bad i always thought like there's a couple ways is bad one of them is just it doesn't there's things in the way of your immersion that you know the things that connect you so you know something like call of duty does a good job because it the, the distance between the controller and the in the game isn't very much because they've fine-tuned it to be as smooth as possible um for the player and you know you have stupid um mechanics like you know menu mechanics that just make it a lot easier for the player to interact with things and not take them out of it and like a lot of little stupid details like that go into connecting the player to the narrative or the uh the task in the game but there's another part where and this happens in movies too where the people making the game think they know what's <laughs> what actually works or they have um well as long as we have a few of these immersion things then we can stick in some loot boxes and that won't take away from anything it's like eh, okay so you or they uh this is what there's that creativity without any creativity that we find uh, so much in amateur professionalism uh <laughs> so um examples of this i guess would be the new star wars movies where they think they know what makes a good movie but then when they put all their their uh textbook things down on the paper it's it, it's just, just some manufactured kind yeah, of like they're just putting pieces together frankenstein monster <laughs> and we get this a lot and it happens in games too which is why people gravitate to the good games um and so but there's a lot of different types of games and there's a lot of different types of experience. And the one thing that's great about games and even more so than movies is that you can tailor, uh, you can just play the games that work for you. But not only that, but you can play the same game in a different way uh, and get the, the different experience in the same game with the same narrative uh, for a completely different person. Uh, example of this would be like um, one that I like a lot is... Uh, something like Europa Universalis 4. Yes, I'm that big of a nerd. Um, where you can, you're playing as, you know, the head of a country. And depending on how you play, the game completely changes. Um, you're bringing your nation through the early modern period, uh, through the Reformation, uh, the Renaissance, the um, all the holy wars. Uh, and industrialization colonization and all that stuff so you can be a colonizer or you can you know start as a native american country and fight colonization and you can do whatever you want the game changes depending on it uh and a lot of games are like this you get something like grand theft auto or um which is gonna be different based on your approach to the game definitely but i think what chris was saying was it now was this the thread that you laid down that allows you to um i guess 
food for your creativity. It, it allows you to practice creativity to a certain extent. I think that's what you were trying to get at. And so yeah, and not just practice, but like it helps grow it like where yes. otherwise not have thought of something like um, one of the neatest games that I played on PlayStation three years ago was Just Cause 2. Oh, and yeah. The thing about the game was just how big the world was like we've was... never seen a world that big and you could fly up like, you know, two kilometers into the air in a plane and jump out with a parachute or dive straight into the water or whatever. But like skydiving is one of those things that everybody kind of um, that we dream about and we um what do you call that like not uh it's on people's bucket lists yeah but it's like a fascination of everybody falling that free falling oh you know yeah what i mean that it's, liberty of being just in the open air with nothing around you nothing below you but it's, it's obviously a universal too reality but like assassin's creed did it too with climbing everybody looks at a giant cathedral and just be like that would be so awesome to just hang from the ceiling <laughs> well i'm every kid has that impulse we're all monkeys down at me more so than <laughs> others be like there's a tree i'm a climate and chris would probably be like no jordan. i'd get up like two steps <laughs> yeah or you'd be like jordan we need to go eat um but uh, just cause three was even better um best of the series but it allowed you to have so much freedom and creativity and how to maintain your objectives in a world which was frankly made to be um humorous yeah like just over the top and absurd there's a war and you you like i think the in the first mission in the first like big mission of just cause three you have to take out this missile that's being launched and so what do you do well you take your grappling hook and you hook yourself onto the missile and then you ride the missile while the bad guy's yelling at you in the radio and you you boop 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 this little screen comes up in the missile and then you punch the screen and jump off the missile <laughs> yeah it's like playing a, a fast and furious movie or something like that yeah but like i can't stand those movies because they're just like gratuitous right know, some of them it's are a... great like we talked about shoot 'em up and bond and stuff like that yeah but like to play it to be able to like change the way you look around the, the scenery and the way you approach the the villain and how long it takes and the countdown timer. Well, there's something all that in kind it. of stuff really gets into your blood. Like, you it's childish, I mean? but there's something inherently creative of, okay, so I'm going to take a jet and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to I'm gonna aim it at the base that I have to take over. And then I'm going to jump out and parachute down shooting rockets at the base. And then when I get to the ground, I'm going to take over a tank and then run around in circles until that catches fire. And then <laughs> it's just like, so it, it sounds like you're just being a child in a sandbox. But if you are too, if you're not deliberate enough about it, your character will you know, die and then you'll game over and you have to approach it. So you're not, you, you can't just be like ADD about it. Although sometimes you can, um, but well, that's a it, great game for it. Cause once you it, practice, you can kind of just do anything just, um, reflexively, you know, and then you're yeah. basically watching a movie that you want to watch. Yes. Not just something that somebody else wants you to watch. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the, the great things about it is, now, I think the underlying thing behind this is, well, I don't want my, my children playing that. That's a waste of their time. They could be learning chemistry while they're doing this. And yes, that's true, 100%. <laughs> but, but you could counter also learn chemistry in a game. Like there yes. are games like uh, No Man's Sky. 
where your crafting is all based on real elements. I mean, the mm -hmm. elements don't do what they do in real life, but if you had to sit there and memorize the periodic table, it's a lot harder than playing a game where you collect elements and craft stuff with them. You know what I mean? Yeah. One of, I'm, I'm really skeptical about, um, now I, I remember in being a fly on the wall in some, uh, faculty meetings and they, one of the teachers had just played like Assassin's Creed and was like, we can use this to teach history. And I'm just like having played Assassin's Creed. I'm like, no, it has no bearing on history. I had to like go in and find the real stories of all these guys who have, you know, are nothing like they were in the, like, it's going to give them a, a bad expectation of history. It, it shows them the, the basic content of history, the names and the dates but the alien sub story or framing device actually does more to hurt the yeah but the plot says right from the beginning these are mm -hmm. based on historical characters but the stories are completely made up or whatever so the value did... part though is walking through a town in the 1400s the right 1200s, that i loved or the i 900s. hated like you i hated can't the narrative do that in any other way no and there's I mean, a documentaries have cg and stuff where you fly through but it's not couple... the same as seeing people just like walking around yeah, there's a couple games that do this. Um, Band of Brothers, not Band of Brothers, um, Brothers in Arms was good because they recreated the actual battlefields of World War II. Like they went there, took pictures and said, okay, this is where this battle was fought. And this is where the player is going to fight that battle. And you're just, it's not like Call of Duty where you just go in and just pop, 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 pop. You have to like, you know, tell your, you, your, your, your fire teams where to go and what to do. And you have to keep in mind suppressing blah, blah, blah. So they actually wanted you to fight it like they had fought it in world war two. It was a bit janky, but it was a good effort. And it really puts you in saying, Oh man, this is, this sucks. This is <laughs> terrifying. This <laughs> is terrifying, but at the same time, it's exhilarating. Um, one of the things that I play again, I play a lot of paradox games like hearts of iron or Europa universalis or crusader Kings which puts you again in the head of state of a country or something but you actually do learn what it is to be what kind of influences are on a leader uh during these times and it's it's weird because you'll be like oh you know at school I'll be like you know there's this guy was a, a tyrant blah 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 how could he do this what a horrible person you boot up universal europa universalis you know you get louis the fourth up there or something or um you, you get you put up your your favorite you know early modern leader and you're just like let's attack let's go i need more land i want it i can convert all the peasants change their culture <laughs> yeah and you feel that temptation right from the beginning where yeah. you're like oh i could be nice and i could try and be like the good leader but it's just so tempting to yeah. take that power and just go wild with it you know what i mean or um and I feel like a lot of these, they don't teach hard skills and that's, it, it would be very hard to teach um, certain things you have to learn the hard way and memorization is that, and I think it would maybe in the future we'll find, we'll, we'll gaming technology will come to such a uh, place where we can, where we can understand human interaction enough. But right now what we can learn are, well, creativity, but the these soft things the, the the context of things um and like trivial data like i don't know the, the munitions of 1943 europe why do i know so much about that because i played a ton of video games um and then i've 
updated that information with real world um this shelf uh real world data that um doesn't because the 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 thing is is that you are filtering this information with um with through the guise of a narrative so you know postmodernist this is your day i'm going to actually argue in favor of you <laughs> but um the narrative does does place a bias over any information that you're going to be getting and you have to filter that through the bias of reality and so maybe hitler didn't have a mech suit but hitler was an actual guy so go read up on him <laughs> and i think but, that's a big thing too because whether we like it or not kids aren't reading as much anymore and whether we like it or not people do forget the past when when you don't remember it so having games that are historically derived even if they're completely made up in false situations mm -hmm. hearkening back to our remembrance day episode at least the mention the mere like yeah even if you're not it's not like an immersive perfectly historically accurate situation the mention of the names will reflect in your brain when you go and read it down the road at university or something when you hear the name medici you're like ah that's a prominent figure that's a that's an important character that's, that's somebody i should pay attention to that's that guy i crushed in, yeah. in, in 1463 now the interesting thing about this that you bring up is that and i'm gonna get into i, I mean this is definitely opening up a deep pit of stuff is that i think it's great for a memory trigger that's sort of oh, what yeah. i was getting at oh well you you unlocked a trigger in my mind <laughs> and i think it's gonna i think it's fruitful because one thing that i find people do when i when i talk to them about games and i notice this in myself is that when you are talking when you're in a game say something like elder scrolls um just works uh but the you get into the game world and you don't give a hoot about the game lore you couldn't care less you just what's the game but then all of a sudden the dragon flies over and there's this thing between the storm cloaks and the imperials and it's just like <clears throat> the gauls and the romans but with magic and um all of a sudden you care about the game world there's a lot of games that do this um metal gear solid's probably famous for this because <laughs> its lore is I'm not even going to get started. Convoluted doesn't even begin to describe it. Intentionally convoluted. Yeah. And then he got creative. Um, we tend to, as uh, as people, and I kind of been wanting to do uh, a uh, an entire episode on this, is that there's the lore ends up hooking you, and it hooks that religious part of your brain, the part of your brain that gets, and I think it's the religious part, which gets you. I must know more. I must dive into the lore. I need to know everything I can about this. And all of a sudden you are reading audio logs. You're reading the books in the game. You're reading all the menus. Mass Effect had you reading the codex. What is this alien race? What is this alien race? What does this gun do? What happened, you know, 40 years ago? This is like, it's a self-contained, you know, thing. And all of a sudden you find yourself accidentally studying. Even if you've got ADD, mm -hmm. you're accidentally studying this like 500 page thing in the game because all of a sudden you're in the world and you don't know anything about it what do you do well you learn and, and this can bits and pieces at a time it's not like sit here read 20 pages and memorize as much as possible right it's like right. one codex one scroll here's the story about the the big clock in the middle of italy and then you move on here's yeah. the story of the sistine chapel and then you move on and it's just kind of like tidbits yeah but through repetition especially if you play the game more than once 
um, or any any of these games, if you play them more than once, you it really sinks in by the second or third time you see it. You yeah. can recognize things that you've never seen or been or places you've never been to. That to me is just fina- uh, like phenomenal. Yeah. And I mean, anybody can see this stuff just looking it up on the internet, but nobody's no. voluntarily trying to figure out, hey, I wonder what New York looks like from the street's eye view on 3rd Ave and 6th Street. Like, But to have the experience through a game of walking through it, even if the buildings and stuff are different, right? understanding and, the geography of the area, even. Well, and it works because we, like, if you try and under, and like that, you raise a great point there. Like, if I don't really care what, um, like, is it I don't really care what one of the streets looks like in Austin, Texas. I couldn't care less because it's not contextually linked to me. There's no reason for me to uh, know that. There doesn't enhance my life in any way. But if I'm playing a game where uh okay, I remember playing a good example here. And this is why we actually use examples. Uh I was playing uh I'm actually literally looking at my Steam game list right now. <laughs> It shows. Uh, show, yeah, thank you. Um, Metro 2033, uh, which was great game. Holy nuts. Was the atmosphere good? It's definitely got that Russia jank, but whatever. And the game is set in a post-apocalyptic Moscow where everyone lives in the metro tunnels. And so what you end up doing is because you... Our context you're interested in the how to do the game your brain starts going i need more contextual information and so you start you know wikipedia you start going on wikipedia looking up the metro tunnels and looking up what they look like when they're not post-apocalyptic which is hard because it's russia and hmm. then you you know you start learning about you know the history of the metro tunnels and you start looking at pictures and geography of moscow and you're like why am i reading this yeah <laughs> And you're you're interested in the lore. They accidentally got you going. Ha! <laughs> you got me studying there. But what happens is it's because of these two things: is that information is we we care about contextualized information, uncontextualized information, even if it has like uh, some kind of value. It just it's trivia at that like uncontextualized information is just trivia. And that type uh, of trivia is really like mentally heavy to try and memorize stuff that has no link or relationship to other ideas or thoughts in your head. Right. right? But when you have like a plot line or a character or you have um, memories of walking through the same pathway or the same metro tunnel or something and you see the brick patterns, you'll recognize brick patterns in Europe that you've never seen. Yeah. Or like trees. Well, or environments from our plane, but what's what it's leveraging is our mythology engine, I would think. And this is kind of my 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 big, you know, uh, thesis on this that I kind of want to do another podcast on is that it's we are mythology myth mythologizing, mythologizing. yeah, uh, that word. I had to practice uh, it while you stumbled. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. We are we're creatures that do that inherently. Um, there's a lot of there's that one Sapolsky lecture which you have to dig up that one student did on the uh, on the evolutionary biology of religion. And I'm sorry, religious people, but religion is part of our biological makeup. That doesn't make it any less meaningful though, because we don't know why it's there. Just because. We can't see God doesn't mean it could be another one of those things that's like, oh, what's God up to? 
There you go. I've solved it. <laughs> but, well, just just to counter that, rocks don't have beliefs, so it's still meaningful. Just the fact that we can do it that yeah. makes it meaningful so, to some people. Yeah. Oh, jeez. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm on gallery view. <clears throat> okay. It doesn't matter. I'm recording. Oh, okay. So what's what is so we have this mythology engine in us that drives us and it's 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 this neat little evolutionary adaptation that forces us to try to understand what's going on around us and it's this wonderful survival mechanism because if you don't understand or you don't actively use the tools we have it forces us to kind of um, put stuff into context into perspective and if that means calling something zeus or giving uh the sea agency then that's what you're gonna do and then all of a sudden you build, but you can't just have the sea have agency because that's dumb in itself. But if the forces of nature all have agency and you're part of that nature and everything has thing, well, that actually makes sense in some stupid way. And so um, you have this necessity to create um, worlds in our head um, for uh, reason or another and games leverage this amazingly um even if it's something like uh you know red dead redemption or here or something where it's a cowboy game you have this mythology of the wild west it's like well it's not historically accurate it's like it'd be stupid if it was <laughs> and boring and dirty <laughs> yeah and now i do like me a game that's you know historically accurate um kingdom come deliverance was pretty historically accurate um and down to the way people lived in, um, in uh, I think it was Bohemia, but ancient uh, Central Europe uh, in the Middle Ages, and you know all the all the dress was as accurate as possible. The town was they did like tried to make the area look as good as possible. Um, all the weapons and were historically accurate. The way people interacted with each other was historically accurate. And there's tons of lore in the game. The thing is, is that the lore is based on reality, but that doesn't mean it is reality. You are interacting with it as if it's mythology, even though it exists, even though all the mythology existed in the real world, all the people you're interacting with, all the forces acting upon you were real forces that would have acted on someone in that same area of bohemia in the 13th century but your brain is still acting as if it's a mythology and so it's going to connect to that as if it's um you know something that you need to know to move forward with your life and it's neat because you are actually learning about middle ages uh, bohemia which is not historically been one of those like hot topics like you know the Crusades or something like that, or 1066. It's, you know, what is King, what's happening with King Wenceslas uh, the fourth or something. And you get hooked in because your mythology ending makes you pay attention for your survival, even though you're not actually the one swinging the sword. And so you're actually learning something, but I guess, the same thing happens when you're playing Skyrim and then all of a sudden you're learning about the history of the dragon gods. I, and... I think that looks at it a bit too specifically though, because to me, the exposure to novel ideas and imagery, that's mm -hmm. the learning process. It's not about seeing something that physically actually represents something else that's real. It's about seeing something that you've never seen before. 
just period. And then relating that to something that sort of was similar in reality in another time. So like first things first in my mind is getting the image of the, the surroundings and the environment and the peoples and the customs and the culture and the lore and all that. And then relating little bits of that to reality. Mm. It's not to say like, this is reality and you should memorize well, everything around you. Cause no. to me, that's not the point. That's no, not really. I what I'm trying to say is that the reality in the game, your, your, your brain needs to learn the tenets of the reality of that context. So mm -hmm. your brain watching Star Wars for the first time, you'll be like, your brain doesn't go, well, lasers aren't real. It tries <laughs> to go, okay, how are lasers real? <laughs> And so, we suspend disbelief for the sake of yeah. entertainment, right? But right. the mythology part of it is, it, it, I think it's a really important component to it. Oh, yeah. Because, this is only one component. <laughs> yeah. But that's our engagement part, right? Um, I think the important part to it, though, is that it's part of our biology to mythologize things, mm -hmm. like you said. But to belittle it because it's inaccurate or not true, I think, is, is irresponsible. Oh, no. No. I would suggest that because of our biology gives us a penchant for creativity and mm -hmm. because we're social creatures, we're story driven just by nature in our yeah. biology. I think mythology is the natural side effect of that. It has to occur in yeah. anybody who has compassion and, and love or experienced interpersonal relationships. Stories are necessary parts of that because if there's no continuum between characters, there's no plot development. And if there's no character development, you can't really engage with the story at all from start to finish. Yeah. And then the environment is bland because you don't care about the characters and yada, yada, yada. It sort of cascades away from you. But the mythology part brings it close to home. And then just not taking it literally, I think, is the most important part. Because as soon as you, if you suspend disbelief and then take it literally, like you're learning bad things that aren't true. <laughs> yeah, and that's exactly right. And like what, we do meet people who are like, who take lessons from, well, actually it works like this. It's like, no, actually that's a game and you're not, or the kids who take Star Trek literally. It's like the point wasn't that that technology exists. The point was that we should all get together and not care that someone's an alien. <laughs> like, and by alien, we just mean people of other races, but we're not going to say it. <laughs> yeah. Spock was a stand in for whatever other that you haven't met yet. Be open-minded you bad person so like i they were like they were worried that spock was going to cause more of a fervor than uhura because there's an alien on the <laughs> like, okay but no one no one cared because they were more like what is he what does he do what's his history what's his backstory why does he have you then that's that storytelling but sometimes you do it bad and then like you end up like there was a war and you're like cool and it was bad neat and now you're fighting okay and go fight why <laughs> and then you're just sitting there with your sword being like nah <laughs> yeah I, I don't really like any of those games i'm more of a strategy type like I, i'll like games that are kind of like active board games my favorite are tactical rpgs where you're managing stats and modifiers and you're bumping stats and then you sort of want to, um, you can cater your team to however style of play you want, but then if you don't use that style in practice, then you're going to be too weak to overcome the enemies or whatever. So you really have to, um, not that you sit there and study to plan ahead, but you think about it. You go through the menus and you're switching contexts and based mm -hmm. on the, the challenge ahead of you, you sort of set up and prepare in advance. 
And that type of thought process, again, is very similar if you're going to go like on a vacation or something. To be able to think of things that you didn't think of because you didn't sit there and take the time to plan ahead, it's really hard to do that without practice. But when you practice every level of a game or a dungeon crawler or something, you know, putting the right shield on, the right boots on, the white, right gloves on, all for the environment that you're going into to give yourself the advantage that you need because you're that's part of the game, right? Yeah. You need to gain the advantage, otherwise you just get stomped. Yeah, I, I think like... that's really good for brain development, though. Like thought. Oh process. no, like that that type of thought process. Because well, a lot of times, whatever. Okay, let's not talk about schools and education for another episode. But a lot of what schools are doing is like memorize this, learn this this way, and it like a lot of my students are like, well, what thing do I need to know to learn this? It's like, you need to learn how to think. <laughs> and like part of the thing, how to learn how to think is, well, with, with the things I like, like that one's good. Like I'm going into a situation like this. How do I, what kind of things do I need? And you have to, you, the problem's in front of you and you're, you're solving it. And this is a practice, you're essentially practicing problem solving. And on a, with a lot of variables all at once, and so when you break it down, it's just all of a sudden somebody at work comes to you. It's like, yo, the stuff didn't show up at the thing. Okay. So the variables are the stuff, the place, uh, and the contractor. That's three variables. But in a video game, you could be faced with like 30 all at once. And you're just like, all right, let's do this. And so when you come back and you're just like, just tell them, like, send Jim to bring the stuff there give them a smack and tell them to get to work. Like it, it becomes almost a boring thing because you, you want and you better. you don't get overwhelmed by like sudden changes because games are constantly throwing yes. things at you from like the wall. You walk down a hallway and something jumps out at you from the side. And then every hallway you're looking to the side to see if something's going to jump out at you again. And then you get that little endorphin shot when you, when you like looked ahead and saw them there and picked them off and you're like, aha. Well, this brings us to a good point is that it gets you used to um, certain failure. It gets you used to trying again, getting up and trying again. Mm -hmm. It gets you used to doing hard things because, well, one of the things I noticed about myself is when I was playing uh, Europa Universalis 4, which I'm going to call EU4 from now on, um, is that I wanted my nation to have the best I didn't want it to lose any one province. I didn't want it to lose one war. I wanted it to have, you know, this steady growth uh, thing. And I learned that that's actually not a fun way to play the game. It's better if the game's a little frustrating because it's more fun if you lose a war and then get a bunch of countries forming a coalition against you. And then all of a sudden there's a reformation in your province. And then, you know, you start your low incline and then by you know 1750 you're a powerhouse and you've fixed all these problems and you've maintained stability in your re region and your realm and all of a sudden you're just like yeah i fixed problems but then one of the things that this game does is that every once in a while randomly it'll throw like uh random things at you one of the stupidest ones being there's a comet sighted in the sky and your stability drops, which means that everyone doesn't work as hard in your in your realm and your money goes down and your diplomacy doesn't work as well and your trade is not as efficient. And you're just like, Ugh! so you have to uh, reorganize your entire country a bit. And it just throws stuff at you. And then you get used to having stuff thrown at you. Now, it's not, doesn't have the 
gravity of say something like, you know, all of a sudden someone knocks on your door and says, oh, hey, um, there was a, a woman died recently and this is your baby. So you now you have to take care of it. <laughs> mm. and all of a sudden you're just like, no, uh, pause, uh, reset, uh, load, save. No, you can't do that in life. So there's a little more gravity with like stuff that happens in life. That would be being an extreme example. Uh, especially I think for it's a good one though, because that's, I think one of the risks and maybe we'll get into the risks of video games at the end after we glamorize them a bit more. Cause there's yeah, a few it... other like side effects of the, uh, of video games that I wanted to get into too, about yeah. types of games. Um, but specifically I, I wanted to point out the word I was looking for before was fantasy. Fantasy, yes. And even indulging in fantasies is also important because it lets your mind wander, it lets you expand. It, it, it's like a, a, a feeding ground for creativity. If you're doing other work and you're just trying to get your mind off of it, the mm -hmm. best way to fix a problem, if you've been focused on it and drilling it and trying to fix it over and you just get stumped, is to walk away from it for a bit. Like that whole term, sleep on it. That's yeah. like a thing. Like your brain does work in the background, the subconscious. And oh. fantasizing in games is a great way to get your brain to fix problems for you without thinking. Yeah, and I've gotten really good at it, but like I put a lot of work into being creative. That sounds so lame, but I, I it's part of what I had to do. And like I do remember doing that. I can't figure out a an essay or how to write a paragraph, and I'll literally just be like, "Okay, I'm gonna ignore it." Like, and that's what I would do for all my conclusions of all my essays, every single one of them. I would finish the entire essay. And then I would leave it for like at least a day, maybe two days. And I'd come back on the third and I would just sit there and be like, Phew. and I would just knock it out and it'd be, it'd be good. I'd edit it, add a few more things, maybe a quote, and then it'd be good to go. And it's because I hadn't, I hadn't gotten all that minutia. I had let all that minutia go. And when I'm having trouble relating this back to video games, but I'm pretty much propping your example up. <laughs> well, think about it like um, collecting. Like everybody by nature, we have like this biological, again, proclivity towards collecting things. We're hunter gatherers after all. So as much yeah. as we love to shoot things, we like to collect things too. And yeah. that's why every game almost has, every game I've ever played anyway, has some kind of collection element to it. Some kind of currency system built in where you have to save up credit by doing work so that you can afford to buy gear or progress through the storyline or keep playing the game, in other words. Right. So it, it's a reminder, too, of the reward that comes from hard work. So even yeah. though you're sitting there doing nothing and wasting time and having leisure or whatever, it's reinforcing strong values like the, um, the, the usefulness of being productive mm -hmm. while you're not being productive. I mean, it's kind of ironic the way it works, but... I think the relatability towards the approach that people take to the games that they play is really important so long as it doesn't get out of hand, as long as it doesn't start becoming more important than the real life, because that's obviously a problem. Yeah. And because you want, you've got this world all of a sudden that, you know, you work at, uh, I don't know, Starbucks <laughs> and it's not glamorous. You hate your job. It's not, you're not getting much pay. And then you go home and you are uh, the god of battle or something. You know, like you're, the armies of the enemies crumble before 
you know, your might, blah, 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 blah. And then you leave out of that. It, it can kind of become a bit of a, a power fantasy, a bit of a, a bit escapism of a kind of thing. Yeah. And that is definitely the, the, the problem. Now, with anything, it's, it's, you do want to look for quality in any media. Like you can read bad books. I do read, um, like I, I read a lot of very thick uh, literature, a lot. But when I'm trying to get to bed, I'm not going to put in some philosophical treatise. I'll put in something a little lighter um, in order to get my brain, you know, thinking on uh, randomly. I'm not going to press my brain too hard. Although some days I don't do this and it, I don't know. I'm but not... speaking as somebody who has difficulty reading, like I myself would not have gotten through hardly any literature in the entire world because just in my lifetime, there wouldn't be enough time to sit and read that much. Mm -hmm. But with a really mundane game, even a bad one, as long yes. as it's something that can keep that's really easy for me that I don't have to pay attention to, that I can just drift away, I can listen to a book and pay more attention to the book than my game, but I can't do it individually. So in that respect, I'd almost consider it like a therapeutic device to have these mundane games, even if they're bad or poorly put together. Or <clears throat> I think all games are useful to different people in different ways, though. Yeah, like, I can't just... sit there and play a shooter because I just don't care enough about pointing and shooting. I just <laughs> really don't care. But I will some... collect things just because it satisfies my little OCD tendency. I, you know I, I mean? think that some games, though, like anything, there's, there's some like every game tries to do something it's just some do them really well. And um, you really want to gravitate towards the ones that do them well. And because you're going to get more of a thing from it. Uh, now, I guess let's, let's get onto this conversation is the economic um, distinction, which I think carries on from what you were just saying. Because one of the things I used to do was I would study all day. Just I'd get up, make breakfast, prep the stuff I would need for myself uh, while I was studying, study for 12 hours. And then I would get one hour between that and bed uh, to do whatever I wanted. And I would sit down and I'd play uh, a lot of times I'd play like mountain blade, which is kind of a open, it's like a sandbox hack and slash with really good controls, uh, medieval knights and whatnot. And it was, it would wind me down. It would get me, my brain off of my studies. It would put me somewhere else. It would let me have this thing. And it was acting as a reward, honestly. It was this thing that you did work today. Here's some, here's some reward for you. So now you can, you know, some, it was something I earned essentially. And something to look forward to, too. Like while yeah. you're grinding it out at Starbucks or whatever the job is, and it's just like a means to an end, you're just waiting for school to get done. Mm -hmm. It's it's like um, it's not just a relief. It's a stress relief. And stress mm -hmm. really affects our body physically, like very much so. Mm -hmm. So to have some type of tool or implement that you can turn on with the push of a button, unlike people where you need to like coordinate your lives together, if like having a conversation with people might be just as stress relieving, but it'll be harder to coordinate because you can't just push a button and force somebody to be there and entertain you, right? Yeah. Just sit so, down at a restaurant with somebody who's sitting alone. And just be like, 
we're talking now. (laughs) I think part of the benefit to it is the, it's so instant that it's efficient. So instead of needing to put three hours of your day aside to have uh, coffee with a friend once a week, you could still have coffee with that friend, but when you need it during the week and don't have three hours to go meet somebody, Mm -hmm. you could just do it for an hour and satisfy that same type of uh, stress relief, that need for leisure. And this is kind of why like I bring up economics is because you are making an economic decision there, what to do with your time. And if you're playing video games 12 hours a day, that better be your job. Um, <laughs> but um, the, you are, you're wasting your time. Well, no, you're wasting your money because you could be making money. You could be going to get a job, blah, blah, blah. Video game is a reward. Uh, it should be a reward in your life or something you do to wind down. It's, Video games aren't bad. I don't think anybody shouldn't be playing them, blah, 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 whatever. I don't think they should be banned. I don't think the violence in them should be banned, blah, 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 whatever. That's censorship. We'll get to that in another episode. What is important here is that leisure is an investment in your life and you need to treat it as an investment. Oh man, I need to, I need to take a day off. Why? So that next week when I have that big project coming, I can go hard on that project. So I'm going to take a day off this week, not get as much done, but next week I will be rested. And I, we all do this. We all make these decisions and video games, like you said, are efficient. I can boot up some of my games in under a minute and be in the play world within, uh, you know, seconds, uh, thanks to my SSD drive (laughs) and, uh, then, and be, and click my brain off of that. Or one thing that's been really good lately is um, with my uh, the heart condition from my adverse vaccine reaction is uh, I needed to rest. I suck at resting. I was gardening. I wanted to go for walks. I wanted to go for runs and bike rides and this. No, no, no. I needed investment in sitting my butt down in the chair. And video games were one thing that let me do that. But my brain still wants to go. So, like Chris was saying, what I was, you know, you read an audiobook while you're doing it. You uh, watch a podcast or something. Um, if you're listening to us right now and you're playing a video game, put yes. what you're playing in the comments. I want to know. You. <laughs> yeah. Um, tell us about it. I really Even actually. For making these videos, like I got to edit sometimes. And to <laughs> find out where the timestamps are to edit, I have to watch the videos or listen to them or whatever. I do yeah. that while I play a game. And it's not that I couldn't just play the game on on its own. I I have this thing where I need to be like constantly be productive, right? So I feel guilty or dirty if I play video games all day, but Mm. I'll force myself a couple times a year, like once in the, in the winter and Christmas, usually around new year or Christmas. And then again, in the summer at some point and put a day aside where I let myself play as much as I want, kind of guilt free. And I never usually spend all day doing it because I'll get bored or fatigued or, you know, whatever. But yeah. I think the risk is some people get so attached to it because the worlds are so much better than their perceived reality. It's usually a function or it's usually a sign of a dysfunction in the way they're perceiving reality. So it's not the game that's drawing them in that they're getting addicted to. It's mm-hmm. the lack or the absence of appreciation for the world around them. And those values, like you were saying, of like the reward where you do it after or mm-hmm. sometimes before you will play now and then commit to doing some hard work later. I think 
that needs to be more reinforced in just general culture because I don't think that's obvious to kids. I think that might be an adult perspective that we have just because we grew up with crappy games that you couldn't really play for 20 hours straight. Yeah, I mean, we well, tried to play Final Fantasy was and Sega bad and for that. It's like, this game is 80 hours of content. You're just like, nowadays, I'm just like, that's a that's like half a week. <laughs> and um, I think that's one of the ways I learned it was playing Final Fantasy. And I got the save game. It tells you your play time. And I'm just like, yeah ah whoops (laughs) and um but 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 recognizing that um you can plan for yourself and give yourself challenges to overcome mm -hmm. in order to get that reward when you come home i think that's really really important and it's often understated like most people are going overboard talking about how bad or good games are or whether or not they should be banned or censored or whatever and i don't think that's even as much of the argument as telling people how to play responsibly it's like gambling we constantly tell people don't get like don't just go crazy gambling gamble what you can afford to lose have some fun with it and whatever but Mm. with games we don't do that we just you know there your tv's there and you're sleeping next to it and we just expect people to be responsible somehow without ever telling them what responsible gaming looks like well we just let like white parents will be like okay this is racist but whatever white parents will be like um well, you know, we'll just let Timmy figure out his responsibilities on his own. So Timmy's not going to figure them out. And then you have, you know, their parents being like, no video games ever. Video games are bad. You're not going to learn anything. And that's also wrong. Like mm-hmm. I want, as a teacher, sometimes I want to assign video games. Um, I wanted to assign Stanley's parable once just to explain um, uh, just certain narrative structures and something. And it's this weird game where you are literally at the whims of the narrator of the game and it changes based on what you do and then the game pays attention to your narrative decisions and like mocks you for them and it's it's a really weird game it's like a hour or two and it's a really neat experience definitely try it out but uh it's a piece of art and you have to interact as a piece of art not as a waste of time what is this doing why is it doing this to me why is it making me do this? And it's playing with what it can with the medium. And a lot of games do this really well. You see, and when you look at them, um, one of the latest ones, uh, I think Doom Eternal, geez, that had an effect on me. It's like, oh, it's such a beautiful piece of art. No, that. (laughs) What it was good at was manipulating the player's actions. So it got you to you know, interact with the world in a certain way by not letting you do something. And the art of it was, is that it got you to get hype in a situation that while you were still able to, um, wow, what a, somebody's messaging me over steam right now. What a, so meta, it got you to, um, it changed your behavior within the game by showing you what was the right way and the wrong way to act in the game. And this isn't like, well, this is the right way and this is the wrong way. No, that's stupid. If you act this way, you're going to die. If you act this way, you will be the supreme badass. And that was, it seems like that's just like, oh, well, they just did it because the guns are like this or the, you know, this is like, no, there's a lot of little subtle decisions that when you look at them are absolutely brilliant. And if you play the game in the right way, it becomes this really interesting experience um, that you makes you feel like a badass, but you actually have to put effort into getting the hang of the game. You actually have to get good. This is why people like Dark Souls too, 
which is like, I, I, I won't, but my, my brother-in-law, if you're watching high, he, he's loving, I've seen him play it and he's good at it, but he's probably enjoys it because of the stupid difficulty. And then you've accomplished something like if you're good at dark souls, you've definitely done something. And I forget my meta point. <laughs> um, but I think oh, you're yeah, the artistry and the, right. The mastery, I guess we can, but the artistry itself is the thing that you can find in these games. And it's not the same as the mastery of a piece of art. It's not the mastery of, you know, a really good movie. It's not the mastery of, um, a book. It's a completely different thing. And we're not paying attention to it because we unfortunately see video games as things for children, because honestly, in all fairness, they used to be things just for children. It's a game. Well, are you going to, it was this new thing that kids played or, you know, um, computer hackers in the old term, the people that used to just go to Radio Shack all day and buy resistors and transistors and stuff and put together their computers and they would load up, they'd build their own computer, put some games on it, and then they'd play the computer. But the game itself would be like the thing that they were trying to make it do. But the whole part of it was, you know, you're building a game from scratch, essentially. (laughs) Yeah, with the mastery, I was sort of more thinking about the skill curve. Like developing confidence and self-esteem type of things. You know what I mean? And again, for most people, it's probably not useful to have a self-esteem over your mastery of a video game. But for some people who have self-esteem issues, it's probably a huge benefit, which gets back to my idea about it being therapeutic. So for me, it would help me concentrate on something that's really hard to focus on, like lectures or studying or or, uh, old literature or things like that, that I basically can't do with physical medium without a distraction, but then the distraction means I can't consume the media, so it's difficult, right? But when it's sort of wrapped together in something that's engaging or something that's active or something that's visual where you can look around the object, it's so much different looking at a rasterized two-dimensional image of a painting or being in Assassin's Creed and having a gallery in your home that you could walk through of all the paintings that you collected or purchased from doing side quests or something like that, you know what I mean? It gives you some type of um, like a sense of earned ownership of these digital assets that are in. And then when you look at them, you see them differently because you worked to get it. You remember the time you went to the the little shop in the corner or found uh, found some rare thing down, you know, a back alley somewhere. And that's the one item in the game that you can get it in that one place in the game. But then. It stands out because there's a memory of the process of finding it. You know what I mean? Like getting there is part of the adventure. I think you're on mute. I'm on mute. I'm sorry. I'm on mute. One of the things that is dangerous that that that's so powerful, but it's also very dangerous because um, a lot of times, especially, uh, and we can see children doing this, um, is that they mistake those achievements for achievements in the real world now to some extent if you're like playing esports i guess yeah it might be but it's practice at achievement and it is achievement because you know you did have to do problem solving and you'd have to do this but it's not like you um i man i'm trying to be polite here but <laughs> it's uh to be harsh it, it, you 
didn't you you weren't the one who actually climbed that mountain it was it was a it was a it was a virtual mountain that you climbed it was a virtual like the stuff you do now to me well sometimes when i'm playing a game i remember playing like um far cry 5 was good for this i would just walk around and you know on the mountains and like i wouldn't even try and fight anybody and um it was kind of peaceful that game's uh, open world and i would almost get annoyed sometimes when like people come out of nowhere and attack me and but you know you climb a mountain in that game and it made me want to climb a real mountain and that's healthy you know i i, I can i want to go and do this and you know it puts me into perspective i want to achieve this in real life as i would have achieved in thing now some to some extent some things are pretty in games can be pretty impressive like um well think of racing games even just to switch up the genres F a little bit zero yeah <laughs> but like when could you ever drive like a motorcycle off a cliff or through a building or something like that you know what or i mean like have it, a race in space at you know two thousand kilometers an hour <laughs> <laughs> but i think that type of thing is really good for our creativity though just mm -hmm. seeing things even if we could have imagined it we didn't because we're busy and we're distracted and there's real life all around us or whatever. Like you said, that mountain's always there, but you don't think to climb it until maybe you had time and you're sitting in a game and you're relaxed and you're like, I should do that this weekend. That's like achievable. It's right there. I can take a bus over mm -hmm. to the, the nearest mountain and go climb it. Um, but I think that takes a lot of responsibility, like maturity. And I don't think little kids have that. No. I mean, some might, but I don't think that's common. Because when I played games, I was never inspired to do anything in my in my younger years, you know, 10, 11, 12 kind of thing. Yeah. Except for exploring. Because the exploration part, I think, is, again, part of our biology. Well, Down with, like, the collecting and the fighting and the... Well, we learn a lot of different things at different levels. Um, there's there's uh, papers out that are show that... Um, and this is much to my chagrin, because this is a lot sometimes what I teach or I try to teach is that kids can't properly abstract um until their late teens well especially boys they're delayed i think yes. three or four years behind girls on abstract thought girls are a little easier to abstract but a lot of times i'll be explaining an abstract concept and then i'll get a um i'll get a question that comes from a misunderstanding of the literal interpretation of that abstract concept and i'll just be like no this this no <laughs> And, um, and like, I, or I I'll be teaching that critical thinking really and it'll be like, hmm? Oh, sorry. You cut out there. Oh, sorry. Uh, what were you saying? Oh, I just, I was adding to what you were saying. I think the, the, the exploration of the world around us, I think that mostly when you're older, I think it inspires exploration in the real, yeah, I think real world. Exploration doesn't, isn't one of those things like abstraction because, exploration is inherent to like you're born and you're just like gotta map crawl. this place it's just what they do <laughs> yeah it's just like what's this now nah. i've got to explore this pencil with my mouth and yeah. and that's where so, all their neurons are when they're babies because they don't yeah. have like formed brains and stuff yet and their eyes are still developing but yeah. the thing is if, if you don't get exposure to light for instance when you're when you're a baby you could be blind for the rest of your life, not because your eyes and your brain don't work, but because that's when your brain develops is 
when it sees and gets responses and photons hitting it as a young baby, that's when those pathways um, progenerate or whatever Dis the word is for that. Disclaimer for our audience, this does not mean you can get your children, you know, night vision by keeping them in the dark when they're children. No, it means they'll get blind blind, like they can't yeah. see anything. <laughs> All that does is make them vampires. <laughs> but anyway. But the exploration thing, I think, is also partly metaphysical, because when, when you're thinking about a, a problem and you're trying to creatively problem solve, mm -hmm. mental exploration of the, the problem in your mind, whether it's like a physical object that's broken, that's your problem, or whether it's like an interpersonal relationship, the idea and, and abstraction of exploration, just feeling what's around you and seeing the whole picture, the whole scope, I think is really, um, it's, it's hugely influenced by the way we play our games. And I think that sort of, it's telling in also the card games we play and the board games we play and like, the imagination that kids have when they play pretend like when they're oh. superheroes or they're characters from a movie or a cartoon like we used to play power rangers on snow hills and just jump off mountains of snow i think that type of exploration of thought and idea and uh and creativity even if it's not like a productive creativity like making music or artwork it's a thoughtful creativity and i think that's actually more practical and useful yeah. in most people's lives because that's how we learn to empathize with people um how to govern ourselves how to figure out our path and direction in life which we talk a lot about on this channel i think that's mm. it's really pushed and, and well one of the, this kind of to back you up one of the things uh like exploration being uh you know aside from like star trek being like we are a race of explorers but um <laughs> we kind of are because you get games like No Man's Sky or Skyrim or any open world adventure. And I remember when I had that hour of video gaming that I was, you know, rewarding myself with, a lot of what I was doing was just walking around. Like I'd boot up Skyrim or something and I'd just lay back and I would just kind of get comfortable and I'd let, I'd just walk around and let things happen. I'd be like, what's over there? And I'd just walk over there and it'd be like... The Witcher is good for that, especially yeah. with all the lore. Yeah. And... um like no man's sky is literally like you have all of space go and it, it, we have a lot of games that leverage this 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 aspect of our psychology and uh i think it it's really a testament to how um how exploratory we are as a species but does exploration as you say and i think you brought up this point really well it isn't just limited to the isn't just limited to um geographical exploration oh that's really fun <laughs> um which is why i go hiking all the time too it's like there's a path but then but then there's parts of that aren't the path and those are fun um i'm gonna go climb up there or something and so that's inherent but like we do need to practice and you seem to be harping up on creativity a lot and that's i think that's good because a lot of what I, I can't honestly myself stress creativity as the one of the most useful tools in any field um, ever. Mathematics, you need creativity. Chemistry, you need creativity. Oh, Chemistry, law, accounting, you like better think you need creativity because, well, you've got a problem. Well, how are you going to solve it? Well, what's the what's what's the equation that'll solve this problem? I don't know. Maybe you have to make it yourself. <laughs> creativity. Uh, 
Like and I've that's seen what most discovery is is like finding an experiment that'll that'll pinpoint this one type of hypothesis to test it. You need to come up with the experiment and find a way that it's not going to be influenced by or biased by other factors, right? I've seen mechanics just like go into a car and be like this is wrong with the car. Uh, I'm just going to hook up a winch and I'll I'll stick some ties on here. You won't see it because it'll be under this. And then I'll get rid of this part. You don't need that. And I'll hook up a tube and weld that. And then, you know, Sounds like honest, my surgeons. You don't need your spleen. You don't need your appendix. <laughs> well, with a car, it makes sense. <laughs> but you, well, with, uh, it, you need creativity in every field. And to think that everyone, that you can just apply, um, there's, uh, you can, if you just know, and this is a lot of what, irks me about common, uh, uh, not common, common, um, current or contemporary, um, pedagogy is that, well, you just have to learn all the algorithms and the heuristics and the equations. And you can, once you learn those and memorize them, you can go into any, you can, nothing will be a surprise. And it's just kind of like, you know, one of those bad, badly written, uh, people who can, uh, in like an anime or something where they just know how to deal with every situation as it's coming. And it's not, life's not like that. There's not someone who can just anticipate everything. There's not someone who's just thought out uh, a contingency for everything. You have to take things as they go. And that requires a lot of creativity. And that to um, me is another fantasy, but that's one that's actually harmful because in a video game, we recognize that it's not a real world, a real world violence. But in reality, when we're teaching kids, here are all the answers to life. And once you have these, you won't have to work hard anymore because you did all the hard work when you were young. Like, that's such a bad way of looking at university and scholarship is like to get the degree, to get the good job. So you don't have to work as hard. That's mm -hmm. a really bad way of approaching no. an important job that you'll get from your degree. You're getting you're a degree. A doctor, so you... And you need to creatively figure out like what's wrong medically with a patient that takes a whole bunch of problem solving and uh, intuition yeah. just based on past experience and everything. And there are tons of terrible doctors out there who just basically are no worth no more than a Google search. Yeah. They just look up, you know, well, it seems like they just look up. Well, that's why and I, I, and get the I first response this guy, and then prescribe you a pill. That's why they're, that's why they keep their, um, uh, the screens face the other way. It's because <laughs> they have two, they have two things open. One is their database where they write all their things and their notes, which they do need to take, <clears> but they also have Google on there. <laughs> now they do have more resources than us databases that we don't really have access to and stuff like that. And I don't um, blame them. I want them finally to curated databases because not Wikipedia, <laughs> but that you have to pay to get in because those databases aren't free. But to but, think that that's your career outcome, right? To think that you'll get a six figure salary for not having to work anymore because you got a degree. That's sort of the way we're teaching kids. Just get through yeah. this and then you'll be fine. As soon as you get your degree, then you'll be fine. Well, we see CEOs always thing. playing golf and stuff. And that's what we envision, you know, fancy jobs to be. It's like, oh, you just go to the golf, you know, you, you sell a few mortgages and, blah, and then you nice do this. Car. It's like, no, if you want to, if you want to be the golf, you have to put in 30 years of hard work first. Like... <laughs> Or play and, on the weekends and the evenings or whatever. Yeah. And but, just because, and the thing is that you get a degree so that you can work your, so you can have a place to work your butt off and not care about it. Yeah. Or, and so relating that to like people saying that video games are fantasy or whatever, I would suggest that the way we're teaching kids, 
what adulthood is going to be like for them, that's more of a harmful fant fantasy because they believe that's real. At least in a game, they always know that it's not real. It's always mm -hmm. on a screen with a controller in their hand, right? Yeah. And, and sorry, that, I wanted to take this because um, we might want to wrap up in like 45-ish or so at most. So um, I want to talk about the risks too, though, because we're, yeah. we're blowing smoke up the ass of video games and stuff. And don't get me wrong, I love them. But like anything, moderation is key and setting an example is key and proper education and conversation is key. So what do you think of like things like the government imposing restrictions on the kids in China for like how many hours they're allowed to play? <laughs> like, shouldn't that be a parent thing? Is it a government thing? Is it like alcohol and cigarettes where we need to regulate it? Like, how far do you think this should go? Because clearly you don't believe that it's just anyone can play as much as they want. and There's no harm to come from it. Obviously, you recognize that there's some kind of. Um, maturity required in approaching it. All right, so where's my libertarian hat? No, <laughs> no, but um, yeah, China's always boots. China is always a source of just absolute tragic comedy uh, when it comes to anything, and that whole like you're allowed to play three hours of video games a week, and uh, only one of them's allowed to be during the work week, and so. <laughs> It's just like, um, and you can get docked to like 30 minutes if your social credit score goes down or some, it's, 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 I guess it but comes down to regulating it though, knowing that there is a harm and a risk to the, okay. should it be just open season for anybody to just screw their own life up? Or should we, should we be parents to all of the youngsters of our nation? I think. Well, one of the things is like, I'm definitely one of those guys, because I am starting one who thinks that the family is important and the family does form a very important part of our society. And this is going somewhere. Don't worry, I'm bringing it back to video games, I promise. Now, the, the family being able to make decisions in their own life takes the burden off of the state. And I think that, you know, well, there's a lot of bad parents out there. We should no kid left behind. It's like, well, no, there's always going to be children left behind. Uh, you know, I'm sorry. But if we, if this is comes down to, I guess, me talking about freedom again, but it from a very um, mechanical perspective, the state doesn't have the resources, no matter how much money you throw at it, to administer uh that kind of thing that china's doing now china's huge and they but they're yeah, but it's, it's not that, gonna, like should we though it should Is, we i think to i think to some extent actually libertarian hat off yes because there are certain things that we do regulate like gambling and like stuff like loot boxes there are aspects to gaming which are objectively uh damaging um such as uh, certain gambling mechanics, um, especially if your actual money is involved. Um, certain what about mechanic... misrepresentations of history? If you know that people playing <laughs> the game are getting harmful representations of history, like denying the Holocaust, for instance, if that was in a video game, would you object to it? Or would that be a free speech, let them do what they want, even if people are going to start believing that the Holocaust was a hoax? Like what if Trump makes a video game? All of his insane ideas and theories and made up make belief. Like I wouldn't really want that spread, but I'm a huge free free speech. Now performer. there are now so here's I would the suggest thing that it's okay to have garbage out there because that's what lets us point out yeah. that's that's garbage. Now <laughs> everyone, now I agree, 
but I think there's a silver lining to this is that the actual Nazis don't actually have that much power in the States and or anywhere for that matter. Like no one's really a Nazi and the people, well, there's a couple people that are Nazis. There's a couple people that are, you know, tea party people, but honestly, they're mostly harmless. And what you get, you do get video games like this every once in a while. And they're usually indie. Oh, sorry. I didn't hear anything. They're usually indie games that don't do well. And everyone kind of looks at it as like a, Hey, let's point at laugh at this obviously obvious propaganda. Um, There was a couple from, there was a, I can't remember. There was a video game like this, but we get games like this all the time. Uh, From the other side of the, the, the BS, we get woke video games coming out, uh, which try and um, make it, you know, they try and push agendas kind of like those new Star Wars movies. Um, And they don't really do as well. People don't really buy them because they want an experience that, so you can say, I guess the, the crux of my argument is that you can say whatever you want and people can say things. That doesn't mean people are going to believe them or like, you know, you can, if someone can go up to the pulpit and be like, you know, um, the Holocaust or Holodomor or whatever, these things didn't happen. And then, you know, the crowd will be like, this is good comedy. <laughs> and so, <laughs> yeah, they'll be like, you know, generally the amount of people in North America that would, uh, take that guy seriously are a small fraction. They're a loud fraction because they're annoying, but, um, people don't take these games seriously. One of my, the games, I loved the new Wolfenstein games. They're great. Made by the same guys who made doom, but Wolfenstein, the new Colossus had you play the first mission in a wheelchair. So like, and then they did a whole bunch of like, woke messaging and telling you like, you know, this is what slavery was. I'm like, I'm literally fighting Nazis. And why do I need a lecture about, you know, um, American politics when I'm literally fighting in the ruins of, I don't understand what this game's trying to tell me. And I didn't actually finish the game. I got like, I got frustrated with its mechanics and stuff and I didn't finish it. And I've played the other two twice. And I think people just won't take stuff seriously if they're being preached to or if there's a weird message but most for the most part what you got to be worried about isn't the intentional messaging it's um, i don't want to say the accidental messaging but the lazy messaging or the subliminal Um, messaging yeah so it's intended but it's unspoken that kind of thing no not even that but like lazy uh like a lazy game will come out with a half-baked uh, thing just to put it into their game. And then all of a sudden everyone's, you get lazy ideas, but I think what it comes down to, and this is, it always comes down to personal responsibility. It's up to the individual to say that's dumb. And, but there is a line. And I think the line is where it's companies will try and game, uh, the, uh, they'll try and cheat and, try and attract customers by um, dishonest mechanics and stuff like that. And I think that is more um, harmful to people than any sort of 
ideological nonsense. What about people dumping money into like DLC content or like Second Life or skins in Fortnite where they're buying <laughs> stuff constantly just for like yeah. appeal of their neighbors or friends or whatever? Well, like it is a social thing to play games now because people mm -hmm. play games together online like it's no big deal. And I remember a time when it was like uh, when the PS2 came with a separate you know, Ethernet adapter you could buy, yeah. but nothing supported it. And nobody you knew played together and it was yeah. buggy and it didn't work. Now it's so ubiquitous, like the Wi-Fi built into these things is fast enough to run 3D games and play like Grand Theft Auto 5 is one of the most played games ever. And it's mostly being played online and it's like 10 years old now. How old is that game? Eight years? Five? I think oh. it's probably, let me, yeah. No, I think Grand Theft Auto V is like 10 years old now. Yeah, like, and no, I don't know any game that's being played that long in communities and groups of people. And people just love screwing around, like blowing up cars and shooting at each other like it's paintball. You know what I mean? But without, without oh, the welts and without the expense and without the, you know, wasting gas and oil and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Well, that's why people play um, like farmyard simulator. Like there was one I sent, uh, I, I showed you and I... And I showed Megan, it was um, on Steam, it was a lawnmower simulator. And I put it on Megan's wish list. So um, if anyone of Megan's family is watching, it's on her wish list. <laughs> but um, now you've got a yard that she can mow and she's just going to be playing games instead. Yeah, you, there's a real mow, lawn to mow, but like it's. Um, well, I do the mowing, but <laughs> Megan's got a, you know, real job. But uh, yeah, we're just the, bugging. Yeah, but uh, the, I think stuff like that is, to, it, again, that's what I'm kind of talking about. And again, I don't think it needs to be regulated um, if it's just I'm selling something and you shouldn't have bought it because we do that in the real world. It's like we have people that buy things, you get hoarders and stuff like that. But like if you're making enough money and you just want to uh, buy stuff, then um that's up to you, but yeah, you can I'm not, I'm buy not stuff. About that. I mean, when it's a problem, when it becomes problematic for people, just yeah. like buying car trading cards of uh, sports and esports, right? You can like yeah. buy trading cards to make fantasy teams. Mm -hmm. That's the whole loot box thing. Yeah, uh, I in, think in Europe and in Australia, the courts have deemed it gambling, so it's illegal for them to push it the way they've been pushing it towards kids because kids are too young to gamble. Yeah, for, for example. So there is some degree of regulation that's necessary, but I think what you're saying is it should be incumbent upon the individual to mature enough, hopefully through proper parenting and in worst case scenario through like addictions counseling, yeah. maybe I think they have like video game addictions counseling now. Well, that's, that's probably helpful. And I'm thinking like other regulations that would be helpful are, um, and I'm actually not against this, are uh, um, age limits. Because I'm not against it because any kid who's able to, you know, get around age restrictions and actually play the game should be able to play the game anyways. Yeah. Uh, because if you're clever enough to steal it, then fine, just buy it. <laughs> yeah, like whatever. But I think it helps because, you know, one thing it makes parents feel good and another it's just like maybe when you're older or play it later. But at the but same also, time if you don't know anything about games, it's a good baseline, right? To just yeah. look at the cover and have a rating that says mature and be like, Oh, my kid's twelve. Maybe I should wait a couple of years. Yeah, I'll buy on the NHL game instead. Like yeah. <laughs> it, it, that'll be fine. But then they uh, whine about the fighting in the NHL game. <laughs> yeah it's like 
we watch hockey games and you're whining about like <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think it a lot of it should be left up to the individual because um like I, I did I did like the fact that because when I'm thinking of restrictions on video games, I'm thinking of the state limiting the cheating uh in the market, kind of like um getting loot boxes in there to get just a couple more cents from them or making and they because when you regulate it you you when you regulate it in a small amount you force the industry to not just make games like um battlefront uh star wars battlefront which ended up just being like it wasn't about the game it was about the um I heard you couldn't even beat that game without paying extra money. No, like you couldn't get the best character without like doing a thousand hours of gameplay. And it's like, okay, at that point, the game isn't about the gameplay. It's about the gambling. Because, you know, you get these little things, they pop out and then it shows you as a randomized thing to show you statistically uh, what, you know, thing you're going to get. And you get these cards and a lot of times it's just like opening cards of hockey cards and you don't know what you're going to get which i guess is technically a form of gambling because we but that's an excellent point because we used to trade baseball cards and stuff back in the day and they would come with a little piece of gum and that's the same thing they're giving you sugar every time you buy a pack of yeah. cards that only have like a one percent chance of getting a rookie card of wayne gretzky you know yeah and you or like the special super gold edition of, yeah but yeah. at the same time you're also gambling when you buy insurance so <laughs> well that's but, more of an investment it's a security yeah. so well and that's what people argue is that like some video games are investment uh and i i i'm sorry um you your video gaming is not a job unless you are an esports kid um you're not even then i think that's more like a like playing poker on the weekend you know what i mean you can get yeah. really good at poker and you can make a living playing poker but it's not a job well, no, I've actually heard people, job. and this is the same thing as like, um, the kids that grow up thinking they're going to be in the NHL and you have to make that decision. Are you good enough to actually take that, um, path and actually have it be an investment and not be a waste of time? Cause if you're not good enough, that's not an investment. Um, and for video games, it's the same thing, but if you are good enough, invest, get in there, like push hard, um, get that kid into the big leagues because he's probably that good and it is worth the investment because if you actually get to the nhl it doesn't matter if you're on the fourth line you're pretty much set and you didn't get there and this is one of the things that i kind of i'm always you didn't get there by accident you all the people in the nhl work their butts off to be there and that's something worth it. Now the esports people, I guess they do have a lot of effort that they put in. I'm still kind of on the fence. I still kind of like have trouble considering it sports in the same way I have trouble considering poker sports. <laughs> but, to me, a sport is an activity, and if you're sitting still, you're not an athlete. That's just not how athletics work. <laughs> <laughs> Athletic like um, bowling. Not athletic. I'm sorry. Anybody difference? Anybody can bowl from a chair. It's it's fun. It's a game, but it's not an app. It's not a sport. You know. Well, it's just, I've made this distinction before when talking about baseball because just like yeah, some, there's thing. things that are games and then there's things that are sports, and there is a difference. 
Like the only thing running for baseball is the fact that there's bases that you have to move to. You know what I mean? But But like even golf, there was a golfer who had like a disability and after, you know, a whole round of golf couldn't, couldn't walk the whole course, but it was part of the rules that you couldn't use a cart because that's the athletic portion of golf. The only physical demanding part of golf is swinging over and over again and walking and carrying your clubs or whatever, right? They should make them run. (laughs) It's like a, what do you call it? Like a, what turns it into like a tactical thing. You got your like big pack and. (laughs) But it's sort of like a neat um, comparison though, because when you start calling video games or, or passive engagement, active engagement, it's confusing, I think, even to kids. So Mm -hmm. as they're building their maturity and their responsibility centers and, you know, that higher order functioning of their brain, that higher order cognition, they're distorting it like it's being built wrong. Right. I think this still is an activity. Yeah. Like, well, it's kind of like the uh, that whole thing that's coming around around Facebook where they are they're arguing that like Facebook and social media are changing your brain. And we are been we've been arguing that if you play games responsibly, video games will change your brain for the better. But if you play them irresponsibly, like it'll be poison. And just like, you know, Facebook changing your psychology and making you depressed, which it will. Uh, but, um, and it's just the excesses that are bad essentially. Mm-hmm. And it's well, just it's, like everything too much water kills you too much oxygen kills you too much carbon dioxide kills you not enough carbon dioxide kills you like it's kind of like that thing where i keep bringing it up about evil where all evil is just corrupted good yeah and, <laughs> and all so, good is just fixed e- uh, ordered evil yeah <laughs> so you yeah, one other thing i wanted to get to if uh if you don't mind is like the therapeutic um uses of games because a lot of um, PTSD sufferers and uh, um, people with bipolar and just like mental cognitive disabilities or people with dementia even I heard they're they're starting to to help stimulate the brain or to get through traumatic experiences using virtual reality or um, games essentially because you use a game engine for the virtual reality well but i've heard now on a basic level i've heard of this because you get someone playing a video game and you get seniors playing a video game and you know you're 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 getting them to use their brain like they'd be sitting there watching tv and their brains they're just kind of not engaged but if you engage them like one of the things they keep telling you about alzheimer's is well the first thing you want to do is exercise your body because mm-hmm. the best thing you can do to be smarter and to get your brain working is to become fit because your brain needs two things. Well, your brain needs one thing. It needs oxygen. And to get that oxygen, it needs blood and it needs tons of blood. It needs more energy than anything else in your body. And if your body is a machine that pushes blood up there, you're going to be able to think better, period. And then drink water. Um, but <laughs> so, but the second thing you can do is exercise the bra- the muscle of the brain um, on itself on its own. And this metaphorically is metaphorically speaking. Uh, metaphorically, yeah, yeah. Um, but not too metaphorically. Uh, <laughs> and getting your brain working. If you stop, if you stop using your brain, it's just like anything else in our bodies. It'll deteriorate. And so constantly like every day think about something every day do make your brain do something difficult and your brain will stay beefy give this yourself many headaches and you won't go mental yeah well, you'll have less chance there's always it's always just a probabilities game with biology but well 
the thing is, this is always going to happen to us. It's just, it happens when later <laughs> and it's probably happens not as bad. And the puzzles are great for that kind of thing. Though, yeah. Too. Puzzles are great, but you can, once you solve a puzzle, it's gone. So you get, and when you get video- good puzzles, then you need harder ones. Otherwise it's useless. Right. Which is what's great about video games is that you can have a task, but a video game will allow a task to be um, very difficult by the nature of the medium. So you can have a task be like, you know, solve a puzzle, but then it'll randomize another puzzle for you. Great. Well, what if there's people attacking you while you're doing the puzzle? What if those puzzle pieces are changing shape constantly? Mm. Uh, this sounds difficult. It's like, actually, it's really fun or something. But the virtual reality stuff is a bit different because I don't know. Is it different? Because I oh, keep yeah. hearing like, about this. One of my favorites was um, uh, for PTSD, they had uh like a vr thing and you're going down the street in a humvee or something and there's action going on around you and the scene is basically put together by some developers after hearing the story of the of the uh the person who went through that type of experience who's who's having trouble getting past it but they'll attach some really simple rudimentary sensors to their their fingertips and stuff to to test stress and then they'll change the colors and schema in the game to show you and reflect what the inside of your body is doing so as you calm down the sun will go down and as you get more hype the sun like for example but it'll it'll change it'll give you visual feedback to what's happening subconsciously inside your body and then you can use that to temper the the progression of the game and ease yourself into the stressful situation as opposed to being forced into it and then recoiling and then being forced in it and recoiling and then you're just sort of getting traumatized over and over again right yeah it sets the pace based on your body's reaction and then it learns to slow the reaction because what you're trying to do is control like the colors as opposed to the situation right you're still in the situation but you can control everything through your breathing or rhythm or whatever like that well i I find that stuff fascinating too i have heard um too that sounds absolutely fascinating if we uh if any one of our viewers knows anyone working on that that'd be a great connect us please um we'll have them on but we'll uh no i've also heard um this is probably hearsay though like you know veterans playing uh war games to like call of duty and stuff like that to come to terms with it one of the things that i found was interesting was there was a game called um, like five days in Fallujah, which was canceled because people, people were thinking, Oh, the veterans will hate this. You can't mock our veterans by making a game about the Iraq war, blah, 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 blah. And it was about the worst battle of the Iraq war. The problem was, is that there were veterans from the battle involved in the making of the game, which seems to me like a really good way of coming to terms with the trauma you were in by going through it and making an experience for others to understand it because the act of creativity in itself. And I think and it'd be so much harder for them to describe it to their loved ones than to just show them a finished product. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like this. And then you show them like, uh, like, uh, like that first scene of saving private Ryan is showed a lot of people. They showed us that in grade 10, uh, Mm -hmm. M for mature. Well, M for you need to see this because kids are the ones who go to war. (laughs) Medal of honor two started like that too. Yeah, that was like the opening sequence was you on one of those transport boats and the thing opening and like, you know, thousands of you all lining on the beach and it was D-Day or whatever. But yeah, well, 
they overdid it. They ended up doing that in like every Medal of Honor and Call of Duty game. Oh, did they? <laughs> yeah, it ended up getting a little like redundant. It ended up because they're like, well, what do we do? Well, let's just do a D-Day landing again. It's like, well, we did it in the first game. And like, honestly, in 2001, when Medal of Honor came out and you're like storming D-Day, it had that impact. Like nowadays, the graphics are terrible. So you don't really have that impact, but you hadn't seen those graphics before. So it did have that like, ah, reaction. Yeah. Um, and I think it's almost better that it wasn't more realistic because it, it was, it's just a taste. It's not supposed to be a literal exact representation like a video. It should be enough to get our imagination going like, holy shit, like we should never go to yeah. war. This and is awful. There are a few anti-war games. Um, what's that one? Spec Ops The Line, which was not supposed to be an anti-war game. It was supposed to be just a bland tactical shooter. And they're like, what if we made a story like this? <laughs> and it's like, the name is stupid. It's Spec Ops. So Special Operations, The Line. But then the whole game is you crossing the line and mm-hmm. it makes you feel terrible about it. And there's a, a lot of games are doing that narratively these days. And I think that helps a lot of people. We're getting away from therapeutics, but... <laughs> I think that helps a lot. But I think one thing that I was going to bring up is that game, there's another side to the games that we often forget. And I think it does help therapeutically is that the creation of video games itself. Mm-hmm. That's and a good point. Because you're like, oh, we do art therapy here. We have music therapy here. We have all these things where you, know, you can create blah, blah, blah. And you paint and you paint it. And it's just like all hippy dippy and whatever. And it's like, all right. What were, you go to a, you go like I've, I've done uh when I was learning JavaScript, we made little games and one of them was like a Mario game, but like you go in there and it's just like, okay, this is going to be a six week course. We're going to be making doom. <laughs> so from scratch, you're going to make your own doom game and you're going to play it on something. It doesn't matter. Cause you can play doom on anything. And to me, it that's ha- the only way I learned geometry. Like I just stumbled my way through it in high school, but it wasn't until I got like instant feedback from the code I wrote showing yeah. like, um, uh, what do you call it? Like when you're skewing from a perspective view, how things in the distance kind of get shrunken out and stretch in. That's mm-hmm. all just like vector geometry and math and uh, dot oh, products. Yeah. And you know what I mean? But like none of that made sense or mattered to me in high school until I started playing with game engines. And then all of a sudden, a three-point vector and a four-point RGBA value for a color, it was like, oh, that's why you cross product matrices. Mm-hmm. Like that's oh, oh, that's what the uh, uh, Pythagorean theorem and stuff is for. It's like to get camera perspective and depth perspective and all those types of little details. Like it puts geometry into practice. Yeah, and on an even more basic level, you're not paying attention to your when the more time you use productively and not paying attention to, uh, you know, my ex-wife left and she took the kids, you know, some random trauma, um, and my life's terrible and I want to shoot myself. Instead of shooting yourself, you're now building a video game about shooting demons or something. Mm -hmm. And that sounds extremely healthy when I put it like that. And I don't know, maybe Monster Hunter was great for that. That's all you do is you just drop into a world and slay giant monsters. <laughs> yeah, I'm. Or well, it's just well, even coming back to like Just Cause Three. It's like I yeah. need explosions. Like when I was going through my um, my the worst part of my myocarditis, uh, I couldn't focus on anything. Like I wasn't able to play my like Hearts of Iron Four, you know, World War Two 
like grand battle simulator and like march my the armies of some random country that i built up from nothing over and while listening to a podcast and i wasn't i was physically unable to do that anymore so what i was doing was i was like okay i need something simpler i need explosions because that's all my brain understands (laughs) right now and for me that was kind of the therapy it kept my butt in the chair and stopping because i have a tendency to go for a run it's like jordan it's squirmy you've gotten pneumonia it's like oh but i'm not doing my (laughs) push-ups Oh, recovering yes. from surgery was exactly the same. I, time I was bedridden that. after surgeries and I couldn't even like get up or, you know, bathe standing up and things like that. Being forced to sit still when you can't sit still mm. is just a nightmare. Yeah. I can't even describe it to people who don't understand, but like, well, it's like one, having insomnia on top of insomnia. Well, <laughs> one of the things I noticed about myself a long time ago was that because of the way my brain works, which just sounds kind of like a hippie way of putting it, but whatever. Um, is that like if I didn't have my audiobooks on me, it wasn't like a, oh, I'm always reading. Oh, look at me. I'm always reading something. I'm so intellectual. No, if I didn't have my audiobooks, I would flip out. I would yeah, get grind anxious. your teeth down to nothing or whatever. You'd be like, because I'd be like, I hate waiting. I hate waiting. I'm sorry if I'm angry and you made me wait. It's not you, it's the waiting. <laughs> it's not you, it's me. <laughs> it's me. And it's directed at you. <laughs> but um, it's, that kind of thing it, it, it forces you to sit because you're in the immersion is the thing that's important i kind of want to get back into this because the thing that makes it work is the immersion i can sit and read a book and the only reason i don't sit and read a book is because i have audiobooks and i keeps my brain busy but the thing about a video game is that the immersion of the task and the addition of a narrative or a storyline or even a basic thing and all of that other stuff that goes along with it makes it so that while you're doing it, you don't really think about it. And that's what we're trying to gamify. That's what we're trying to, you know, leverage to teach people this stuff. But it's the thing that makes it work. That's the that's the element that the medium relies on. And it it's I don't even think we understand really how it works yet because we've only had these things since like really since the 80s is when they really started. We've had them since the 60s and 70s, like for space war and all that. And if you really want to know more about that stuff, you can read a bit about it on my, um, I talk a bit about it in my thesis, but it's- um, Which is called? It's in our- Give it a proper plug, you dumbass. It's in the first episode. Go find it. I don't need to plug (laughs) my thesis. It's like two years old now. But <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> the archives won't even have it. <laughs> yeah, uh, the uh, the third chapter is kind of redundant now. I think it's about out of date. The first chapter still holds up. But what I'm thinking is that we don't really understand games yet, but it is teaching us a lot about what it means to be human. And I think one of the most important things it's teaching us is that fun is important. And I think this is kind of uh, one of the things that we need to realize is that we're not just automaton drones we deserve and we work better when we have an hour or two every once in a while um of fun on our own separate separate from reality and video games are a great way of doing that it's probably better than television like all the commercials and stuff like every five minutes or every three seconds the, the scene's changing like they're trying to drag you along 
because you know nobody can can like follow a, an actor go through a monologue anymore like it's almost un, unheard of to have a two minute uncut scene yeah but I, I think games at least are are a better uh, utilization of your energy and time like efficiency wise than to sit there and have to sit through commercials for a sitcom that just makes you giggle at the same jokes over and over yeah. again although me and megan are still watching legend of galactic heroes which will have you know 10 minutes of conversation on mm -hmm. like democracy and versus autocracy and just be and then you'll be like yeah yang wenli's awesome it's just like whoa i guess i guess that's a quality issue but on average you're right it's television is insulting in its uh over simplicity and it's you should be insulted by television and yeah um, i can't stand it it's so obtuse buy this i'm like who the f are you like don't tell me what to do and what to think and what to feel and what to want like yeah and like cool. they assume stuff about you that's insulting so that you want to buy something that you wouldn't ever actually want the way they present it too is like look at this truck driving through mud i'm like <laughs> yeah who wants a truck so that they can drive through mud after they just washed it so <laughs> maybe maybe video games are just more honest yeah like because like i'm looking here i'm looking at uh, i'm looking at doom right now and i look at here and it says play doom be a badass it's like yep that's why i'd play that game here's some yeah. dlc you don't need it but here it is it's like thanks resident <laughs> evil there's creepy zombies everywhere perfect yeah. <laughs> the president's daughter is in danger and it's it is very it, it's a lot more honest in some respects because there's you're getting that and to have a like and some games have tried putting um advertisements in they'll get like product oh, placement a bunch of it now like product yeah. placement's terrible in, in sports games all those banners and yeah they put verizon commercials between periods on a game that has no loading that's just intrusive if you ask me like if you oh. pay for a game to get advertising that stops you from playing that you have to watch that to me is just offensive like i don't know how you feel about that I yeah, I, mean, I, I guess don't like don't advertising. I know I'm like Captain Capitalism over here, but advertising can go itself. <laughs> yeah, it went way overboard. If I'm looking for something, yeah, I want to be able to find it and know that you offer this product or service. But if mm -hmm. you're getting in the way of my free time when I paid you for it, like really go go take a long walk on a short pier. That's my feelings. <laughs> and well, it's part of me is like a good product will stand on its own. But uh, another part of me says, and it's kind of, I keep bringing this back, is that there's a there's a there's a tiers of quality when it comes to every form of media, and advertising is no different. But most of advertising, because of the nature of it, will fall down here, and so you'll get like YouTube ads and you know primetime soap opera ads and stuff like that down there. But and then only the really good ones, which I'll actually engage you and get you to be like, oh, I almost watched this intentionally. <laughs> But um, yeah, YouTube's been pissing me off lately because I watch so many lectures and audiobooks and stuff like that and podcasts. It's now yeah. dropping commercials that look and sound like a podcast or yeah. somebody broadcasting live, and it's like a five, ten minute. Some of them are half an hour long. Well, so I can understand. Skip, it'll sit through the whole half hour. Well, and that's why I didn't admonish Justin for getting YouTube Premium. Like yeah. when he brought it up, I was just, he's just like, and he felt guilty about it. And it's, which is kind of like, oh, I bought YouTube premium. It's like, dude, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> like I listen to podcasts on my phone all the time and uh, I can't, I don't have an ad blocker on there. 
and so yeah i don't know i kind of feel like games are something that's in my private space in my home i really really don't think the place for an advertisement is my free time i think an advertisement's there if i'm like voluntarily going to like a pub or a bar or out in public or a park or whatever do all that stuff in public but in my home i should be able to turn off ads that that should just be a thing and i think we should regulate that too because go into the settings and shut the ads off that would make sense to me. Well, okay. So this is this is an EULA issue because if I have, because generally, I should uh, be able to hack my games and get the ads out of it. Is that what you? Some saying? people do. Um, like you get hackers go in and be like, "Oh, remove this," or you get modders. Um, there's a lot of games have mods, so you can like turn off certain things. And there's a lot of uh, GTA Five is a good example for that. Yeah, um, and like. We should have the now if they if I think we should if we're gonna legislate anything, it should be legislate the freedom to do with our, our property with what we wish, mm-hmm. which includes you know you have a game you have code on your computer your code doesn't belong to it and this is a go back to our EULA episode I should have the right to mod a game that I'm playing in my own house. Well, no, you can't. Well, who does it hurt? It doesn't hurt anybody. This is my meditation time where I'm you know sitting there playing. Banner Lord hacking up, you know, and playing a battle of like fifty guys, and all of a sudden Pepsi. It's like no, <laughs> that that won't happen because they're this. Oh, it'll get there. Trust me. Eventually, well, you'll start things... having Star Wars ads, like advertising Disney characters and shit, like in the background. Well, and I think Guaranteed. people aren't putting up with this in the gaming world because a lot of times what we get, and this is the culture around video game creators, is that. <sighs> And especially like mid-level to like indie creators is that they don't want that. They want, they have an they idea want the of money from it though. Well, they want the money from it, but you get someone like, um, how oh, is it? Uh, like my wife's been playing Stardew Valley and go play it people. It's, it's so cute. And it's made by one guy and it's a great game and it's so much content in the game, but, um, would you don't get the sense that these people are making this game with like how can i sell out and put advertisements in this game um you get a lot of games that the the thing that they're interested in is the game itself and a lot of the models uh on even in the triple a market go along with this like you see paradox and they'll put all like all the content behind uh, a paywall they're doing that so that they don't have to put advertisements, you know, third-party advertisements in the game because they know that would wreck their product. And but EA because does it even though they don't have to. Right. That's what bugs me. Well, and that's the corruption. of it. <laughs> that's just, just like you should tip us. Here's 30% added to your bill. <laughs> yeah. And to me that's corruption because what's happening and what is you get these teams working and a good team will understand that what they're doing is art and the art is the content is necessary for the art. It's like, well, well no, the art's in the code. Well, no one's going to look at your code. <laughs> it's what the code does. That's important. So a lot of time, uh, and I think this is all conjecture on my part, but we are getting some new forms of monetization with the gaming industry that are, letting people like that are leveraging the technologies that they're based on. So computing, cloud computing, all that stuff, these buzzwords that don't actually mean anything. So 
online. Oh, it totally does. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. But like if I say web 2.0, does it mean something? Kind of, but not really. And so we're leveraging all these new technologies that we have to try new ways of monetizing uh, stuff. And before all we had was TV and it's, 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 you're not interacting with it. So they have to force the message into you. And so what you get was, you know, just these commercials that took up like 20 to 30% of your, your time. That's time you've wasted, that you've given away, that they've taken from you. Now in a game, in a, in a mobile game, they don't give a hoot. Um, cause they'll just play. You expect it though. Yeah. With this free to play. Yeah. Cause they, you're, you're playing. Yeah. I, I, I'm with you on that. But if it's, if you're paying for it, most of the time you're going to get just the piece of art, the game, um, that you are paying for. Now, it's one thing for Nintendo to put like a Nintendo logo and in like a, a Mario Kart racing game and it's just in the mountain. Like it doesn't get in your way or stop you from playing. Yeah. It's when they put up the barrier on like an NHL game and stop you from playing so that you can stare at a commercial for 30 seconds and watch a countdown. Like that to me is just, it's downright intrusive. Now, to me, that's just caveat emptor, like buyer beware. You should but know. They don't tell that, you that on the box. Well, no, you but you, you should know. But what it does tell you on the box is that it's a game made by EA, <laughs> <laughs> and so that should be the first. Uh, that should be the first clue that you might be getting stuff that you didn't pay for. It's like all of a sudden it's trying to download McAfee onto your computer. It's like, maybe don't buy that game from games from that company or like Activision who used to make really great games is now doing the same thing. They're like, how can we, how can we do this? And you see this with games that are made by companies that, you know, I guess have, uh, committees because it's again this is art like any tv or like any tv that was made by someone who's like okay i want to do a thing let me do it uh i just need a bit of investment and then those were the best shows you know you get like twin peaks or like my favorite babylon 5 who just like we're gonna do something it's gonna be its own thing but then the rest of tv was like you know committees being like we need a funny family show for people to watch during this time slot well that's not going to have any artistic merit it's not going to have any interactive value it's like building gonna... a boy band where they just yeah, exactly. find individuals and they piece them together like a manufactured marketing campaign right but if you get people who actually want to like and this happens in movies too where um <clears throat> the people who actually have a vision will make it and it's the same with video games because it's it's a different medium but it's tapping the same source of human creativity. And so you have to approach it from a same creative place. And that means you uh, have to um, kind of let people make their games. And when you get a committee to, um, uh, when you get a committee to um, make a game, it ends up just being like any other media made by a committee because you have to have that, you have to have that vision of what's going to happen. And I say vision, but we all kind of know what you mean. This is what I want to try. This is what I want to do. Let's see if we can do it. And then a team gets to work on it. And then something weird comes out or something different, or even something like that ha that's happened before, but better, but they just do it better. And this is how art works. This is how creativity works, which is why we're pushing creativity. But the thing about video games that I think um, just to wrap it up, that's good is that 
the reason that this works better than any other medium is because it involves the player. You aren't just, you are taking part, and this is what a lot of our technology now is doing. Um, you are even, the, the audience is now taking part in the art itself. And video games, I think, are some of the most um, creative and interesting aspects of the new technology that we're getting. I'm, I'm actually tempted to suggest that even this YouTube channel and like the whole being able to comment and interact with YouTube creators is a huge part of the engagement of the YouTube community oh, no. and the Twitch community and the Snapchat community. Like, I think that's what people really love. I think you, you hit on that like squarely. Mm, we're, we're deviating away from cable TV because there's no interactivity to it. And we can speak directly to the producers and writers of our favorite content rather than that cabal of, you know, right. shareholders and market agents and advertisers a, in the background who are. There was a music, um, there's a song put out by a guy I listened to recently. And I said, I really like this one. Thank you for putting this on. And he put that little like heart thing on it. He mm -hmm. read my comment. I interacted with them. There was yeah. interaction. And there, like, I do talk about this in a bit. In, and this was definitely my advisor's big thing was the YouTube is an interactive medium. And I took it and defined it in my first chapter, interact, what interactivity is. And uh, this is definitely that because I mean, people respond when they're part of the conversation. They want to take part in the conversation. They don't just want to be watching The Simpsons. They want to be there having the adventure with The Simpsons, which is why The Simpsons like games, even though they were so dumb and bland, they sold like nonsense because people wanted to, you know, a good, and this is one, uh, I think, um, I think Justin Drute, Drute, the, uh, he's a Lord of the Rings scholar and uh, I actually want to talk to him on this channel, but um, <laughs> he mentioned one of his points was, is that one of the reasons that we like Lord of the Rings so much in its book form and it's one of the reasons it captivates you is because even though it's tragic and nostalgic in its nature, you want to be there. You want to stand there and be like, yo, I got, I got this. You want to grab a sword and a shield and be like, let's go fight some evil. You want to be taking part in those things that are happening. And that is what draws people into that because you can imagine yourself being, you know, a town folk in the Shire, or uh, maybe even on your darkest moments, you know, being an orc or something. And that's part of the magic of Lord of the Rings. But that magic is leveraged to another level with uh, even some of the most simple video games. That's why math people like Mass Effect because you are there and you're taking part in all those big changing events. And the more we make these video games, the better they're getting. They are getting better. You know, this golden age of video games. It's like, no, they're getting better. You just, it takes a while to make them. So, you know, you have to wait for your next experience. Patience so always remember to game responsibly yes playing four hours a day and you're only hanging out with friends for like one hour a week probably something skewed there you might want to just reevaluate your priorities a smidgen yeah but we're not against games just be responsible be an adult and if you're young and you're watching this and you're wondering how much you can play play to your heart's content just keep it in mind don't let it get away from you but you're young and have fun that's part of growing up is having fun so do it a lot yeah I'm all in favor of kids playing tons of games as long as it's paired with running outside and climbing trees. 
one final thought. inspire you to jump off a bridge. (laughs) One final thought that I haven't brought up and we haven't talked about. Oh, yeah. Is that like one of the things that I've been doing is I've been playing video games with my father when I can. I'm sorry. But um, and that's one thing that we underestimate is that it does bring people together um, and it can. And, uh, you know, I can't go and like we've been playing borderlands so it's this great co-op game and we just uh go off and we shoot monsters in far-flung reaches of imaginary space and it's my dad would play golf with me when i was really young on nintendo mm-hmm. oh yeah <laughs> like a bonding thing just a simu- golf simulator where you tap the thing and the bar goes yeah. up and down and it's it's great <laughs> for that but yeah so yeah i think we've said our piece yeah Fun is important. Anybody who's like completely against games before listening to this got some insight or perspective as to why people might uh, might benefit from the activity, even if it may not seem as productive as they'd like people to be. That and it's fun to talk about things that we find fun. Yeah, (laughs) totally. And we need more frivolous, less gravitas sometimes. Yeah, we've been doing a lot of gravitas lately. It was a good good change up. I'm glad we did this. All right. We'll uh, see you guys next week. Do the RSS feed and the YouTube stuff and the, yeah, I don't know what Chris does. Yeah, the yada yada <laughs> below. You know, yeah. the deal. if yeah. you're watching 51 episodes by now, then we probably don't even need to say it. But like, <laughs> if comment, uh, tell us what games you're playing. <laughs> All right. Yeah, see let's you guys. fight about it. <laughs> yeah, fight. That game sucks. <laughs> All right, see you guys.